I like to eat. It's one of my favorite things to do on planet Earth. And I don't know about y'all, but just about this time, I know most of y'all are starting to think, I wonder how long Pastor Kyle's going to preach because we'd really like to beat the rest of the crowd to whatever restaurant. Um, and that's okay. I, I grew up a preacher's kid. I remember getting into the car after church and knowing that we were going to be late getting to the restaurant, um, getting there and seeing the faces of the people that left during invitation uh, to beat us there, um, and having to do the, oh, we still love you, but you left during invitation look that my parents would give people. It looked like this. Um, that's just the Christian way of going, bless your heart. And bless your heart really means, really? Really? Um, but see, Jesus used moments with food to always teach a purpose. And I think it's something that we need to learn. I mean, if statistics are true, then most Americans spend a third of their income on food. Eating out, um, grocery shopping, whatever your particular way of doing things I know in our household, we have a rule. Sunday lunch is out to eat. Here's why. We prepare for Sunday, and when Sunday comes, lunch is not a time to work. Lunch is a time to go relax a little bit. It's kind of the <sighs> moment of our Sundays. And so we go out to eat, and we typically will sit together with a family as us, or if we get the invite, we'll go with you. But most of the time, the larger the group, the less we really enjoy, and here's why. We just want to eat and get home. We love that Sunday nap after you eat. And the better the food, the better the... That's right. See, y'all are my people. I, I love you guys. Y'all are, we're feeling it. But why is it that so many times as Jesus spends time with people and teaching, food is a part? And I think it's because it's true of us as it was of people of that time, it's easy to get people to come to a meal. It's hard to get them to listen. And so Jesus often would throw some food in the mix just so that people would listen. And today is one of those times. We're going to spend the next few weeks talking about these moments that Jesus used to teach people around a meal. Uh, we're really going to sit down to dinner with Jesus. And one of those moments, I want to start with y'all, and one of those pivotal moments that's perhaps the most controversial and, and we don't kind of get it all the way, but let's read the text, and then we'll explain why afterward. Luke chapter 5, starting verse 27, it says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were guests with them. But the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus replied to them, It is not those who are healthy that need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I, I want you just to remember that sentence because I want to ask you a question. He says this. Let me repeat it to you. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Who does the Bible say is righteous on their own? None. So everybody in this sentence is sick. Everybody, except for one person at the dinner, Jesus. So why is it so bad that tax collectors are involved? 
Well, let's just look at the text together. Matthew 18, verse 15 says, If your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. If he listens to you, you have one over your brother. But if you won't listen, take one or two with you so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If he pays no attention, then tell the church. But if he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like an unbeliever and a what? Tax collector to you. He said tax collector. This is Jesus talking. Jesus was calling out something that the people thought. You see, tax collectors weren't the best people on the planet. Tax collectors were Jewish by nature, but they worked for the Romans, which is like the enemy. They're the turncoats of society. And they always took more than they were asked for. The Romans demanded some, and the tax collector said, well, we'll just put our percentage on top of that. And so they would take from their own people for a group of people they didn't even care about. They were being oppressed by, and they were making a wealthy lifestyle out of it. They were hated, and they were their own people. You can just imagine for a moment going to the synagogue together with a tax collector. I mean, you didn't want to sit by the guy. He was a guy that was really wealthy because you gave him more than was really asked for. You see, they, they dislike them so much that even Jesus calls out tax collectors in his teaching. So why is it that in the text today, in Luke chapter 5, he goes and finds a tax collector to eat with? Well, I mean, there's this real thought that we've got to get through our heads today. And it's something that, listen, I'm hard-headed. Jesus went after people even he didn't like. That's the hardship of evangelism in our life, isn't it? We want to share Christ with people, but we just want to share Christ with people we like, that act like us, that talk like us, that maybe even believe like us. We would rather practice evangelism than do it. And Jesus goes, listen, I can sit and preach to the same crowd all the time, or I can go find a Levi. And he does. And what does Levi do? It says that he finds him at his office, the tax collector's office, which had to have been probably the least happy place anywhere. And he sees Levi and he says to him, hey, come follow me. And what does it say that Levi does? Leaves everything behind and goes and follows him. You see, this is the greatness of Jesus. Jesus always drew a path for people to follow after him. He always drew a path. He said, if you're going to follow me, just come walk behind me. I will show you the path. So Jesus always drew a path for people to follow him in. That's just how Jesus worked. But this isn't the only tax collector Jesus goes after, is it? Remember Zacchaeus? We talked about him before in here. The wee little man that climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Lord came passing by, he looked down upon him. And he said, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. Um, that's, what, that's that moment. Zacchaeus is also a tax collector. It's another moment where Jesus goes after the very people that everybody around him hates. Double hates. And so... It's no wonder the Pharisees show up and go, okay, listen, Jesus, you're radical enough, but tax collectors? Like, can, can we just be real in the room right now? Most Jewish people probably thought that tax collectors were going to go to Washington. Yes, Washington, D.C. <laughs> um, 
very astute. Y'all get it, right? They hated them. And so Jesus goes and finds a tax collector in the office practicing tax collecting. And he goes, you should come follow after me. And he gathers others around him. And they have a banquet. They're sitting down to eat. It says there's a large crowd of tax collectors. That's like a bunch of hornets. You don't want to get close. And here's Jesus sitting amongst tax collectors and other people with them that you can only imagine are people that did not hate them. And along come the onlookers, who, by the way, we don't see that we're invited to the party. I just have a quick question for you. Do you think every Jew stayed away from tax collectors? Do you think all Pharisees stayed away from tax collectors? Because here's the thing. The Pharisees really liked to make sure that their home church was financially supported. Do you think they went after Pharisees to be their friends? I think they did. I just don't think Levi was one of them. And in this moment, as they're sitting down with Levi and all these tax collectors, the question comes, why is Jesus hanging out with them? Why are y'all eating and drinking with those people? What's your angle, Jesus? I mean, they didn't say, we hate tax collectors in the scripture, but we certainly get, why are you eating with them? And who did they ask? They asked Jesus' disciples. They didn't ask Jesus, but Jesus knew the question. He knew what was coming up. He knew what was on their minds, and he has this great thought back to them. He says to them simply, I'm not trying to help the healthy, which the Pharisees were not. He said, I came after the sick. I didn't come to save the righteous, which the Pharisees were not. But he came to save sinners to repentance. He found a crowd that needed him most and was hungry for truth in a time where truth was hard to find. You see, Pharisees made up their own rules. They didn't just have to abide by the Torah at this point. They had their own rules by which people had to live. And under that oppression, truth was hard to find. And see, Jesus came and he brought absolute truth. Let's not forget that if the Bible is truthful, it says that Jesus and God are one. So that would mean that Jesus wrote the book. So with that in mind, he comes with full truth because he's the author. And so as he shows up and he meets with tax collectors, for the first time maybe in their whole lifetime, they're finally hearing a truth. And it's something they can hang their lives upon. Man, that is truth. This guy really understands us. This guy really isn't coming in and going, you bunch of weirdos, stop it. He says, let's sit down and eat. Jesus says these two sentences, and I want you to hear it as though you were a tax collector at the table. Pushed around by society, locked in with a Roman rule that if you tried to back out, you would probably die. And you're sitting at the table. And you know that no one there wants you or likes you. But you're finally sitting around people just like you, except for Jesus, who you've heard about. And he says these words, 
It's not those who are healthy that need a doctor, but those who are sick. For the first time in many of these tax collectors' lives, they recognize that they're sick. And then he says, I didn't come to call the righteous, but to save sinners unto repentance. For the first time in many of these tax collectors' lives, they figured out that they had sinned. I kind of wonder sometimes if, if we don't have a whole generation of people we think of as tax collectors. People we wouldn't invite home to dinner. We wouldn't talk to if they asked us a question. You see, Jesus is the one that eats with those people. He spends time with them. He loves them. He cherishes them because ultimately he would die for them. And he's calling his church to remember that. He's called us to die for them, to lay down our lives. And let's not forget it says this, that man, even an unrighteous person will lay down their life at some point. They would do something great for a friend, but a true friend dies on their behalf. Does the world see the church as a group of people that would even eat with them? When we are led by Jesus, this is your next point, when we are led by Jesus, we will invite everyone to the party. We'll invite everyone to the party. There isn't anybody that's not one of us, for we are all sinners saved by grace through Christ. Which means this today, if you don't know Jesus, I want you to know something. Just because I'm standing at a pulpit does not make me superior. We are all in need of a full Jesus to save us from ourselves. We are all Pharisees. We are all tax collectors. We are all sick, and we all need healing by Jesus. So what do we do about that? If we see a whole world that needs Jesus, how do we change? And as Christians, those of us that have put our faith in Jesus and are holding on to him, how do we make a move from where we are today into what he's calling us to be? And I think that that's probably perhaps the hardest thing for us to get. If statistics are true, 10% of us who claim Jesus as Savior will share our faith in a lifetime. 10%. You want to know why other religions around the world are growing, but Christianity seems to just be holding steady, if not declining? That's why. We're the only religion that considers sharing our faith may be a practice instead of what we do. I, I, I think there's something deep in us that should be crying out. If this is real, it should be shared at least some point. At least at some point in our lifetimes, it's got to come out of our mouth and into our practice. If not, we have to question, do we really believe this? Do we really believe this is truth? I have a buddy that is um, a good friend, and when the new Dallas Cowboys Stadium opened up, we were talking and we said, let's go to the first preseason game, the very first football game to be played there. So we agreed. We bought preseason tickets. We had a good seat. We sat down. He, brought, he bought full like Dallas Cowboy stuff. He's not even a fan. But he wore cowboy stuff because he knew if he didn't, I would treat him like, you know, a tax collector. And so 
We showed up to the game. We took pictures. It was exciting. We got to yell for our team. It was awesome. And I loved it. And I came back and I was like, oh, you got to see this stadium. It's magnificently big. It's got amazing bathrooms, which you haven't been. It's, I'm telling you. Um, it, it was awesome. Like it, the seats were nice. It was awesome. You got to go. I was so pumped to tell people about it because it, it had been real to me. Had I never been, I was like, oh, yeah, it's an, it's an okay stadium. I mean, you can see it from across DFW. That's okay. But now that I've been in it, if, if I'm driving through and I'm flying in, you know what I look for? The stadium. I'm like looking out the windows of the plane. Lord, where is it? Excuse me, can I climb over you? Yeah. Okay, no, okay. Sorry, I'm, I'm sorry. Looking out. Sir, you're going to have to buckle. I'm looking for the stadium. It's real. It's real to me. It's the same thing that happens with a child that comes to know Christ. If your kid comes to know Jesus and you take them out to eat, and the waiter comes over and says, how's your day? You know what that kid's going to say? I came to know Jesus. And you're going to be like, oh. <laughs> yeah, Coca-Cola, thank you. Um, kids can't help it. It wells up within them. they got to say something about it. they got to talk about it. And that's the exact same faith that Jesus calls us to, childlike faith. Because then it becomes contagious. You can't help but share it. Can't help but talk about him. Can't help but share what he's done in your life. Your testimony is not meant for a notebook. It's meant to be shared. So let me ask you a quick question. Many of us have gone through a lot of turbulence in our lives. And the more gray that we get, the more turbulence we've seen. And so I just want to ask you a question. Through your turbulence, has Jesus been there for you? He's been there for me. Has Jesus been there enough to help you walk through your spiritual walk? Been there in times where you open the Bible and it's just connected. I'll give you, for instance, for me, most Sundays, I will talk with a life group leader in the foyer that says this. You know what, this Sunday, in life group, we talked about something very similar to today. And I want you to know, as your pastor, I don't go through the life group literature and go, I wonder what they're teaching. Oh, I'm putting that in a sermon. I don't do that. I allow the Holy Spirit to lead me towards sermon work. And I lay out sermons long before the year starts with our staff. And so in that working, as God's speaking into me, it's amazing how God's speaking through our life group leaders and it just connects together. We talked about the same thing. It's awesome. Listen, I believe that God works. And I believe that Jesus is alive And I believe he's alive in me. And I believe that if you know him as Savior and Lord, he's alive in you. And because of that, at some point, he's going to show up if you'll let him. And I believe that Christians that don't share their faith have to stifle him to do so. I believe that when somebody's in front of you and you know you should share your faith, that you have to physically and spiritually and emotionally say no. I believe that. And over time, your nose will become easier. And I also believe this, over time, your faith will grow weaker. The more you practice your faith, the more your faith will grow. And in this moment with the Pharisees watching on as the tax collectors are sitting down, they're getting the gospel for maybe the first time ever before them. They're finally hearing, I'm showed up for people like this. Are you one of them? 
And the Pharisees had to have a real moment of, well, I'm not sick. Well, I'm righteous. So I don't have to be at this dinner, evidently. Because if that's what you came for, that's not who we are. And I believe that's also the hardness of heart that we get when we quit practicing our faith. We become very callous and we begin to say things like, but I'm not like them. I'm better than that. And Jesus goes, no, you're not. I'm better than that. And you've got to depend upon me. You see, that's something the Pharisees couldn't understand and only the tax collectors could see that day. They finally found a doctor. They finally found somebody that could turn their lives around. And he wasn't standing at the door asking questions. He was sitting down and eating with them. Must have made the paper. Local Messiah sits down with tax collectors. Story at 10. But you know what I find interesting? Levi never leaves Jesus. He follows him the rest of his life. Because when you and I sit down and really have a conversation with somebody that is sick and in need of healing, they will always cling to Jesus. Because for the first time in their life, they'll see truth. The last is this. We have got to develop a heart that sees sin as sickness. Too often we have been pointing to people and saying, they are blank. They are this. They are that. Instead of, they are sick, but can be healed. They are sick, but can turn the corner. They are sick, but they can get better. And you know how that can happen? Give them the right doctor. Give them the right doctor. The right doctor changes everything, doesn't it? It's like if your abdomen was hurting and you thought, man, something is wrong. And you went to an orthopedic doctor and you said, my abdomen hurts. And he's like, "Mm, how are your feet? You'd go, but my stomach hurts. You see, that's what the world is doing. My soul hurts and they try and fill it with relationships or alcohol or drugs or popularity or money, whatever they can get to fill these holes. And the problem is this. Our lives are always dependent upon something. They're always going to get energy from something. They're always going to be filled with something. It's the beauty of how God created us is this. He made you have an insatiable hunger. And the beauty of his greatness and his Listen, he and I are so different. That's why I need to spend so much time with him. If I created you, I would make you sick of everything else. I would make you so dependent upon me that you couldn't use anything else to be filled. But God is a good God. He's not forceful. He is loving. And he woos us with everything he has. But he allows us to fill ourselves with everything else. And that's why he says, broad is the path that leads to destruction. Many of those who will follow into it. But narrow is the path. Narrow the gate of those that lead to me. If you find it. You see, there's a path in front of all of us today that allows us to consume anything we want. To fill our lives full of it. To 
find our dependence and our hope upon it. And I can promise you this, all the times I've tried to depend upon my goodness or myself or anything I can build, I've fallen flat on my face. And you have too, haven't you? Because see, nothing can withstand. Nothing can weather the storm and nothing can save us except the right doctor. And we need to sit down with him and listen. The last is this. Later in Scripture, in Matthew 21, Jesus says this. It's not going to be on the screen, so listen. Jesus says this. Let me ask you a question. A man has two sons. He went to the first son and said, my son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I don't want to. Yet later, he changed his mind and went. Then a man went to the other and said the same thing. I will, sir, he answered, but he never went. Which of the two did the father's will? The first, they said. And Jesus said to them, I assure you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom before you. For John came to you in a way of righteousness, but you did not believe him. Tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. But you, when you saw it, you didn't even change your minds then and believe him. Before we give our judgments to the world, before we show up and we tell a lost world, I am superior to you, we finally need to sit down at the table with Jesus and remind ourselves of this. We're all tax collectors. Not one of us is righteous. No, not one. Each of us has followed our own sinful path. The greatness of Jesus is this. He shows up to your table. And he says, let's have a meal. And even when the world is going to come and tell you, you're going to believe in Jesus? Remind that lost world, he sits down with me, even when I don't deserve it. Never once in all scripture are we given a story of a Pharisee sitting down to eat with a tax collector. We don't know if I'd like to believe it probably happened, but I don't believe it was ever because they just wanted to sit down and meet one of them. I believe it was always a, hey, how much money do you have? How much of that would you like to give to the church? Or, hey, you seem powerful. Why don't you walk with me and let people see how powerful we are together? You see, Jesus didn't tell them either of that. He just said, Y'all come eat, because you're sick, and I want you healed. Let's remind ourselves today that we all need Jesus to sit at our table. I need it. You need it. We need it. We need Jesus to come and cure our sickness. And if Scripture's true and we've all sinned, there is a chair for you. Will you sit in it today? Will you let Jesus speak into your life and heal your life today? Let me pray with you. Father God, I pray that as we see Jesus in Scripture, spending time with people that he didn't even, Lord, society didn't care about. They had thrown away. But he sat down and he loved them and he showed them a path forward of healing. Lord, we need that healing. Lord, sin has separated us from you. And Lord, like we started off our service praying, we, re we repent of it. We get rid of it. We turn away from it. 
And we seek you and we ask that you would start us on a new path. Lord, we want to follow after you. And Lord, you called us today to follow you. And so Lord, as we spend this next few moments with you, God, we want to really spend time with you. We need your healing over our lives. Scripture says, by your stripes, by the wounds that you possess for us on the cross, we are healed. So we pray for that healing today of our lives, of our sin. Lord, rob us from it and make us holy. We're only righteous when we're in you. So Lord, sit at our table. Lord, sit at our table and remind us that while an onlooking world doesn't get everything about you, it's because they've never sat at the table with you. So we need you. Lord, right now, we need you. Lord, remind us that those in Christ should be about sitting at the table with people all around us to invite them to you. And so, Lord, in this time of invitation, God, we pray that you would speak over our lives and lead us, God, to be people called after you. In your name we pray. Amen. Here in a few seconds, I'm going to ask you to stand. Not yet. But I want to give you just maybe a quick instruction for today. And maybe you don't know it. But last Sunday, I asked our church to be praying deeply. That they would find a time each day where they would pray, not only for our church, but for their homes, for their walk, for you. And so that's what they've done all week long. People have been praying and asking that God would step into your life that he would run interference in where you're running and that he would absolutely turn your heart to his. So whether you know it or not, when you showed up today, you were prayed for. And if you are a Christ believer, I'm gonna ask you to continue that prayer, to keep that prayer going right now. And maybe if you're a Christ follower like I am and you'd like to come and, and do battle. You would fight the fight with me up front and you would kneel and pray. I'd I'd invite you to come do so. Maybe today if you don't know Jesus, you'd like to start that relationship but don't know how. Well, in the next few moments when we stand, there's a few of us that will be standing down here. We would love to talk to you about what that looks like because we believe it is the greatest table to sit at ever. So are you ready? We believe this is the fight. So let's fight right. Let's go and let Jesus fight this battle. You ready? Stand with me. And you come. As we sing, let's do battle.